I like that. I mean, it's. I think Cisco. I mean, I'll say this just as David giving Cisco feedback. They really have made a lot of people angry with their subscription service. It's it's a nightmare. The licensing people always complain about the licensing. Oh it's, yeah, it's a nightmare. You spend any yeah. time in Reddit, and uh, there's yep. <laughs> there's a hot topic and plenty of yep. memes making jokes about how complicated licensing is it's crazy. Uh, for Cisco. I really want to thank Pact for sponsoring this video. I've collaborated with Pact over the years. They have some fantastic books, Privilege Escalation Techniques, written by Hackersploit. I interviewed Hackersploit. You can watch that video below if you're interested. Here's another great book by Eric. Eric has written a few books, including Mastering Python Networking, another great book if you're interested in learning about network automation. So I really want to thank Pact for sponsoring this video and also collaborating with me. If you're interested in purchasing these books, you can use the links below. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble, back with Tom. Tom, welcome. Hey, great to be here. So for everyone who doesn't know Tom, Tom has his own business. He deploys Unify equipment all the time. Tom, you can probably explain it better than I. So tell us a bit about, you know, why you like Unify and, you know, the kind of stuff you get up to. So Unify is really an interesting product. They are, you know, we always use the terms we see them. This is a market disruptor. That's every clickbait headline, right? Yeah, uh, the yeah. difference with Unify is they actually really have put pressure on some of the other companies to do things a little different. If I were to ask you something simple like, hey, how do you do a VLAN in Cisco? You know how, but you're also like, yeah, these are all the steps. And with Unify, there's a little pull-down menu and you can just choose the VLAN. And they have a whole concept of just making networking a lot easier and also allowing you to host the controller. And those two little dynamics are actually... Um, they sound simple, but every other company has such a playbook of you got to put it in our cloud. You should get certified. You should get your engineering degree and everything else, which is not bad to, to have a deeper understanding. I always like to do that. But some people just want to get the equipment working in an easy fashion. And this is what we were really fascinated by with Unify is the fact that, wait, I have the controller software that does a lot of features and lets me host it myself internally while also making it, generally speaking, way easier than any other uh, company to do things like changing out VLANs, building out network rules with just a really nice UI. Now, Unify was actually founded uh, by people that all used to work for Apple. And my understanding is they specifically used to work on what was a really successful product for Apple. And I don't know why they discontinued, but their entire, I believe it was called the Airport Extreme, the whole Wi-Fi series from Apple. It was, yeah. for years, it was really popular Wi-Fi because it worked so well. And then Apple just kind of abandoned it as a product. They kind of said, we're not in that market. And my understanding is some of the people from that team said, well, we are in that market, so we're going to go build uh, a company. And that's how Unify has a well, pretty broad product base. I was talking, when we talk specifically about Unify, we're talking more broadly about Ubiquity as the company. Unify is their product line. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I mean, you can see this is like one of the access points. So it's very Apple-ish, isn't it? Yes. It looks kind of like an Apple product. So what's the difference between Unify and Ubiquity? Because you know, that those terms seem to get banded around. Yeah, and they do. And some, if I keep calling them Unify, there will always be someone in the comments going, no, you're talking about Ubiquity. So Ubiquity as a company 
is a pretty broad spectrum. And they occasionally have been accused, and rightfully so, of just kind of throwing it at the wall and figuring out what other products. They've jumped into solar. They've jumped into a variety oh, wow. of things. Okay. So under the Ubiquiti moniker, we're, we're seeing a lot of products. And some of those products have since been abandoned, or sometimes they get abandoned and reinvented, like their voice line of phones, which their first ones, they barely made it out of like a beta phase, and then they kind of abandoned them. And now they've got another phone line. But specifically, the Unify line, it represents things that are part of the Unify ecosystem and the Unify controller. So I used to always call it the white box stuff because like you said, it's the Apple looking boxes, the unpackaging of it. You're like, this is actually pretty nice. Even the screws are in these nice little holders. And I don't know, they made an actual product experience out of something that's going to get mounted to a ceiling, which is weird. The same thing it with is, yeah. any of their switches yeah. and things like that. Um, but they're all controlled within that Unify platform and they adopt. They have no local interfaces, so you have to use the Unify controller software. Devices without local interfaces is not a new concept. There's, of course, Meraki being one of the real popular ones in the market where you tie everything to the Meraki dashboard. But of course, that's all in the Meraki cloud versus the Unify is you can host it yourself or you can host it in your own cloud server to controller uh, software. Now, the other Ubiquiti line of equipment where Ubiquiti has another big market under that name is even some of the boxes, and they're almost most of them are these black boxes and more generic looking, are the edge line of equipment. And they are bigger in the WISP market, so the wireless internet service provider market. They make a lot of really nice site-to-site uh, -site equipment all under the edge line. So that does not uh, does not allow for adoption into the unified controller system. This is sometimes where the confusion starts, where Ubiquiti makes some products that adopt to a controller. You just have to remember those are in the Unify line, but then the other edge equipment has a separate controller, but also has local interfaces. So it's more common to see those uh, for people who want like a traditional switch where I log into interface. As a matter of fact, it has more traditional where you can set VLANs up from the command line. It's not Cisco, but it's similar in a way, if you're familiar with Vios, that's essentially what they had forked uh, the Edge OS off of. So it's, you know, command line driven, being able to do things, has a basic web interface, but for the real advanced features, you're pretty much going to the command line on the Edge equipment. So that's their other line of equipment. The that's other- like ISP, as you said, yeah, it's like more, more for guys like who want to run an ISP rather than a home user or a small business, yeah? Right. They're really focused on that, but I mean, they- the difference they make and why they're so popular in the home user market is if you wanted to just have one switch in your network, well, now you got to run a controller software that maybe you have spin up in a virtual machine or they sell a device you can host it on, uh, referred to as a cloud key. And if you're only running one piece of equipment, that seems not, you know, seems a little overkill. But for people who will, even home users, because the edge equipment is also relatively inexpensive, you can go, I want something with a local interface that I can control, and I'm only going to have one device on this particular network, then sometimes uh, still people will go for that, even in the home lab environment. The big difference, of course, is some people want to build out their home lab environment, but their goal isn't to build a network engineering learning lab. They want to get things working, create some separation with some VLANs, and then focus on maybe they want to write stuff in Docker, they want to do some programming but they just want to create network separation. That's where Unify comes in and makes everything a whole lot easier because there is no figuring out how to tag or untag a trunk port. That's all done yeah. through a little pull-down menu where I can choose a particular VLAN and go, all right, here we go. This is, you know, simplicity. Yeah, I mean, because my very first question is, can you configure devices individually or do you need a controller? And I think you've kind of answered that because just for everyone who doesn't know, I'm approaching this like from a Cisco mindset, if you like. It's good for us to, um, you know, see the differences and why this has become so popular. Um, and I can understand, you know, Cisco is very much CLI driven or 
individual device driven. But Tom Cisco have introduced a, well, they've got a range of products called Cisco Business. And they've actually asked me to see if you want some of them so that you can like determine if they're as good as Unify and perhaps change your mind. You know, I if you've seen them. I've thought about it. Which which model is it? So what I so I spoke to the I actually spoke to the Cisco business unit yesterday. So this is called like uh, Cisco Business. I don't think it's a great name. I think they should have called it Cisco Small Business. So this is like a layer three switch. Has a CLI. It's not Cisco CLI. Like I, as a Cisco person, prefer the full blown Cisco CLI, like on the one thousand. And we can talk about your experience about that. And the it has a GUI. So you can configure it locally, but it also has a controller that you can download and configure devices with it. So I'll um, they ask if you want some. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about it after this call, and I'll get you ship yeah. some and see if you actually like it. Because so their sort of positioning is Cisco Meraki, which is the cloud managed thing, as you spoke about, and then this is like locally managed. So you can manage them either through CLI individually, or through a GUI, or through like a controller. It seems very similar to to uh, to um, unify. No, and I think that's really interesting that Cisco's creating more stuff that's very similar to that. And I actually feel a lot, this is a market pressure created by Unify. Yeah. Unify, people throw it out there, oh, it's just some consumer product and things like that. But honestly, you get a company that has a $12 billion market cap. That's a decent size in the market. I mean, no, that does not put them in the same category as Cisco. They're not that big, but $12 billion is not small either. So it's no. not it's not a mom and pop shop. It's not a two-person operation uh, hacked together. You know what I mean? This is They are you know, a relatively competitive force in the market. Um, and, you, and you're deploying this in businesses. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's the thing that a lot of yeah. people don't realize is coming back to the way you configure them. Now, if you were to say, I want to take, and obviously this is completely possible with Cisco, but a little bit more in depth to do this. If I have 45, 50 switches, maybe 200, 300 access points, which is one of our deployments we did, where I've even done a whole video and followed up on that particular aspect of it, that how many we had deployed was 300 access points. And I forget how many switches. But if I wanted to change a setting, I want to add a VLAN across that entire platform, that entire deployment. It's the same menu that it is for a home user. I go to the same Ubiquiti menu. I'm going to go type in, create the new VLAN, create a tag, hit save, and it will propagate within about under a minute to every single switch in that network. Give me a status update that they all completed the change. They've all recognized it. I didn't go to the command line. I just went through a really simple UI and added. That level of flexibility handed to an internal, because this particular company we did this for has an internal IT team. They just weren't confident in the product on them setting it up. So they brought us in to bring it in, set it up, configure it. And this is a common thing we do where internal IT teams are a little nervous. You know, they're like, uh, you know, we've heard this company doesn't have great support. They're right. <laughs> That's where my niche comes in is actually supporting a lot of the Unify equipment because there's yeah, so Unify doesn't do support, do they? Not like Cisco. They do terrible support. So that's one downside with the Unify stuff is their support is iffy. Um, they have forums. They have a lot of documentation. But that's one of the things as a trade-off. They also, without charging licensing fees, this is just a business thing they did. It was a decision made. We're going to not charge any license fees. Everything's unlimited. That's going to have a problem because we have to keep selling product, but we also want to sell product at a low price. Well, you sacrifice something. We all know support is expensive. It's the reason yeah. we charge so much uh, for support. That's just the way things work, that's the most expensive is taking up any of my technicians' time to help troubleshoot a problem. So we charge for support for Ubiquity, and I just tell people that's kind of the option. You can get the product 
I have entire tutorials on it. There's lots of documentation you can find. There's good forum posts and write-ups on how to get a lot of things done with Ubiquity. Ubiquity's own documentation is actually really good. I don't think enough people realize when you start going through the site just how well documented everything is. And their goal is to make it as easy as possible, to make a product easy to use so it needs less support. But uh, if you don't have the concept in your head of how to trunk a port, even though it's it's not that hard in Ubiquity, people make things harder. And we always find, because if there's extra buttons they can click, and if they don't know what they do, they click them all. No, no. Come on, that is so annoying. <laughs> so I think, you, I think you said in another interview that um, you, you often go back and just reset to defaults. Yeah. I, I've joked uh, and posted jokes on Twitter. I say, you, you don't realize how much money I make resetting things to the default. Like that is so <laughs> much of what we do. People are like, well, how hard is it consult? I said, first we set it to default. And then often is almost where you can stop. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. There's okay, so a, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, quiz you from sure. like a Cisco mindset. Okay. So do the devices have a CLI? I think you've kind of answered that already. Do the, I mean, these devices don't, is that right? Loose term there. So can you access a CLI? Yes. Can you make changes okay. there? No. So you can do things like, for example, they're running BusyBox, they run a Linux kernel, they have things like TCP dump. So you can even connect Wireshark via SSH right to them and start pulling packets. So functionality from that, yes. Changes from the CLI, they won't survive a reboot. So you could modify things um, and modify some of the functions or change features. But once you push the uh, another change update, the change update from the controller always overwrites any settings you may have done from the command line. So I don't want to say no, but I don't want to say that you should do that. There's ways that people have modified these to hack them essentially, but the default configuration, no, it's not something supported by Ubiquity. It's not documented by them that you can do that. And you don't open up a web browser to the device, you open up a web browser to the controller, yeah? Correct. There is no web browser on any of the Unify line of devices. They're, they have to have the controller. They don't, I mean, they work as a, like the switches will route traffic as a dumb switch with by default out of the box. So you don't, you could just use it as a dumb switch, but you didn't buy it for that. So you have to use the controller. And so, I mean, the, the worry about controllers always, and I think you've addressed this on your channel. So, I mean, I'll just say this, anyone who wants to really get into it, go and have a look at Tom's YouTube channel. He goes through crazy amount of depth. The controller, it can be it can be hosted in the cloud. It can be hosted locally. Yeah, correct. Uh, you can also really like they do offer Windows support, but we try to push people away from that. So it's written in Java and MongoDB. So it's two you know platforms that are very compatible to move over to Mac, Linux, or Windows. We have found though, and this is just part of the way it integrates with the Windows network stack for scalability reasons. We shy away from ever running it at scale in Windows. If you're a home user, you want to run it Windows, no problem. And one other myth that I like to break: if you're not using specifically the captive portal portions, the controller collects data, gives you status updates, but turning off the controller does not stop the devices from working. They will lose their telemetry. They won't have any stats that you can collect because they don't do much on their own. They send everything back to the controller. So you can spin up the controller, talk to the devices, and then shut it down. And the devices will continue doing what they do. The only exception is if you turned on something like a guest captive portal, that does talk to the controller because the devices don't have enough processing power to run anything like an actual captive portal. That gets redirected to the controller. So the controller does need to be on all the time. Our preferred install is running it in Linux. So you can run it in Linux. You can run it in Linux in the cloud. It really doesn't matter where you put it. And Hostify is one of the options for people that want yeah. to create automated. Uh, my friend Riley Chase started that company, and he's now seeing some competition directly from Unify which comes back to an interesting thing. Unify used to offer so you could host it for a fee 
um, if you want. It's the same software, but you would pay them to take care of the hosting in the back end. And now the other side is they stopped it. And that's where Hostify says, well, great, I win because they decided to completely abandon all their customers. They said, basically, you have this many days to get off our controller. They're starting it up again. Now they're doing the same thing again. <laughs> so, But of course, that doesn't sell uh, consumer confidence that no. they're going to continue it. So Hostify is still doing really well for people that want a hands-off experience for someone else to do the controller because the controller doesn't just magically update. You can turn it on to auto-update. I always recommend you update it manually. And of course, um, telling someone to update it manually doesn't mean they will update it as you know yeah, so exactly. um, it's something we maintain uh, ourselves for it so so is it an ova or do you just download software and install it's download software to... with instructions okay. uh they they so, have good documentation and prerequisites like you have to have this version of java installed you'll have to have this version of mongodb installed and then a software set it's got an installer that's relatively easy they got like a dot deb package the debian version is the one i usually recommend to people the reason why is because the cloud keys Loosely, they're basing on something close enough to Debian, uh, but that's why they offer it as a Deb package. I, I have videos and tutorials on how to get it set up, so make sure you have the proper dependencies in Linux, but it's relatively easy to set up. And then what's the console about? Because I see on the website, they've got a, like the Cloud Gen 2, Cloud Gen 2 Plus, and they've got a, the Dream the dream machine, the dream machine stuff like that. What is all? What what are those? So it's just you, like when I started looking at Unify, there's like all these products, and it's like how do they fit together? Yeah, so, um, that is know, a challenge. To the controller, and you know, sorry, go on. No problem. That you're absolutely right. You nailed it. This can be a little bit confusing. So if you don't want to run the controller, you don't want to run it on your own Linux VM, you want to manage it with something that's simple. The cloud key is their solution to that. That's one of their solutions, I should say. So the cloud key, you spin it up and you set it up and it's got the controller loaded on there. And it has an auto update mechanism. They actually make it relatively easy for an end user to get it going, get it set up, plug it into your network. You adopt all of your devices to it. The adoption is really simple because you just put things on the same network. So I start plugging them all in. It hand, There's IP addresses handed out by the router. I adopt them into the cloud key. It finds the unadopted devices. Now they're controlled by the cloud key. Another alternative option is the unified dream machine. That has the routing and controller built into one device. So we have the routing functionality, then we have the controller software running on the Unified Dream Machine. That also allows all the devices you plug into it. The Unified Dream Machine, I believe, has uh, eight ports on it. Then you start plugging those ports into more switches. You hit adopt, 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 and now they've all go in there. So you have the single plane of glass that controls your routing functionality, your functionality of all your uh, access points and all your switches, and they're all controlled in there with, once again, an auto-update mechanism. So it's very turnkey simple for people wanting to set things up. So you mentioned routing. I mean, I've heard you say in other videos, you, you're not, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, not to particularly fond of the routing piece from Ubiquiti. So I'll say this, so you can, do you want to answer that first? And oh, then no, I'll, I'll ask you about absolutely the switches. That. So the Unify routing works for things like routing. And now let me uh, make the Cisco hair stand up on the back of your neck. If you create a second VLAN and a second network inside of Unify, the default rule is allow, allow for all wow. network. And that's like, no, that's not how it should be. If you create a guest network separately, it will create rules on there. The rules are a little bit complicated and some people think they're creating separations because they just say, hey, look, Unify's got this nice menu to create all these different networks and create new VLANs. But the default rules on all those is allow, allow. So that's one of the challenges. You may accidentally set things up where you thought you were separating. You set them up kind of an insecure way. Second problem with them is the community has proved that it can be done, but it's not officially supported by Unify, is the VPN support. They do not have great VPN support. So people looking for a nice user VPN, um, you know, like OpenVPN or even WireGuard, 
they don't really offer that through the software in any great way. Their VPN routing functionality is really, really poor. The other weird challenges with Unify is it took them years before you even could assign multiple IPs on a WAN. That's kind of a head scratcher for a company is, that yeah. is big as they are, why it took them so long or why they didn't have that as an option. Like that's some one-on-one stuff there. We want to assign a block of IPs. You're claiming they're enterprise routers, but that was one of the features that took years for them to kind of catch up and get. That being said, there are people who have modified, gone to the command line, but once again, breaks the controller interface and extended the functionality to include WireGuard, to include OpenVPN. The hardware they build is actually capable of running it. And this is where the puzzle comes in because it's completely a software limitation. And this is where people always ask me, well, hey, Tom, there's a new router coming out from Ubiquiti, one of their new routing equipment. Maybe that one will solve all the problems you complain about. And I say, no, the problems are software. The hardware, even the existing older hardware, is capable of these things. So this is why we'd actually end up not using a lot of unified routing equipment. If the business needs something more than basic routing, then we go, all right, you're going to need, you know, coming back in with VPNs and things like that. Well, that's where we're not going to recommend any of the unified routing equipment. For, you know, a small coffee house, a small four-person office, and they're like, we don't need to VPN back in. All of our applications are in the cloud. We're not worried about remote access. Well, it works great for them because their needs are really, really simple. They don't usually have, because they, they have loosely, I'll call it intrusion detection. They're running Sericata on the back end, <laughs> but it's, uh, when, when you dumb things down, to the point that they have, it makes it so basic, it's not really effective. It checks the box that an auditor might make happy going, do you have an intrusion detection, intrusion prevention system? Yes, we do. Is it good? That's not part of the auditor's question. <laughs> so it gives you yeah, very see, light I, rules. <laughs> sorry, go on. No, just say it gives you very light rules, uh, enough to be compliant and not necessarily secure. So when a lot of our clients need those more advanced functionality, that's where your more advanced firewalls, like when we talked about PFSense come in. So. Yeah, I was going to say PFSense, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because I think you, to summarize your sort of feeling, and let me know if this is correct, uh, access points, it's it's a yes from you. For uh, Switching is a yes. Routing, other stuff, not so much. Is that is that correct? Right, correct. So, um, do these switches support uh, routing? Uh, are they layer three switches? Or is that like getting into the weeds now? That's getting into um, they're trying, and I say trying because they they've done it in some of the most confusing ways possible. <laughs> so, okay. Um, it's it's almost hard to describe. I did I did one video just talking about it. And the only reason I did the video was less about instruction of how to do routing on it, but more to show people how bad it is. And uh, if anyone has a requirement for a layer three routing functionality in their network, they want it done at the switch level and they see that Ubiquity and the, specifically the Unify line offers it, I talk them out of it because I'm like, you're, you're gonna hate the way they implemented it. It's confusing and it may not even work properly for your use case. They, they just have this really convoluted way. Their documentation isn't good on it. And I don't know why they chose to do it in an unusual way of creating these weird extra VLANs to try to create, it's almost like creating sub interfaces to do it. It's, it's been a minute since I looked at it um, and it hasn't improved any because it's kind of, I don't know why they've done such a bad job on that particular functionality of it. They've done it because people, you know, the demand is there for people who need layer three routing and there's times when you may need it for your network infrastructure design. But if your design requires it, we're going to push you over to even something like Cisco. We're going to talk about Aruba. We're going to talk about some other networking platform that will better suit the needs of that particular architecture because Unify is not that. <laughs> Their routing so performance is not very good either. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I was sorry to interrupt. Because um, in the Cisco world, you'd have like a layer two switch, which can't do routing. It only has an IP address for management. And then you have like what they often call like layer three light or 
something along those terms where the switch can do inter VLAN routing and maybe do static routes. And then you have like proper layer three routing, which is inter, inter VLAN routing. So from layer three VLAN two to VLAN three as an example, but it can also support like a routing protocol like um, OSPF or something like that. So Unify, correct me if I'm wrong, you would more use as like a layer two switch and yes. then do the routing on some other device, yeah? We always look at that because even when you talk about things like OSPF, those are not features in Unify. That's not, that's a common question people have is, and I always kind of laugh, I'm like, I talk about how basic they are and that they have poor layer three routing. And those videos have comments. I'm like, what about OSPF? I'm like, well, they haven't figured out the basics. Um, they certainly aren't getting into the advanced layer stuff either. Uh, there's a lot of that that's just missing. I mean, they have the, the common functionality like LLDP and things like that for your phones, but you're not going to, um, if you have a need to run OSPF and any other type of advanced routing, nah, not really, not really their cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Just correct me, Tom, the device that you would use for routing wouldn't be a dream machine or is it is it a USG? Is that is that a is that a something is that something different? So this is where Unify has got this um split problem. So they have the Dream Machine, Dream Machine Pro. Those ones are all in SE, the special edition one. Those all have the controller built in. The USG line specifically does not. So you still have to run okay. something like a cloud key. And the USG, though, suffers from slightly different, but almost all the same limitations uh, as the Unified Dream Machine does when it comes to routing. Because it's still run by the same controller software. They've just changed a little bit of the, the functionality around there. Also, the USG, I thought it was an abandoned product line, not because Unify, which is, by the way, a very opaque company when it comes to roadmaps, they give you end-of-life support, but they may not tell you when new features are coming out or anything else. So we know when end-of-life is for certain products, but that's really it. And they have their beta store. And for a long time, they had their new version of the USG in a beta store. I think it was close to two years. And normally things come out of the beta store in about maybe six months. It's kind of a way to, for them to uh, gauge market demand for a product. They put it in the beta store. They remind you it's beta and uh, they see how many people buy it. And if, it, if it's constantly sold out, you can almost guarantee it's going to come to market because they obviously realize there's demand on it. So the new version of the USG was in the beta store for two years and it became a joke. Like they're, they've abandoned this line because they're trying to push people towards the dream machine. But then out of the blue, it just showed up in the general availability. And we're like, oh, look, it's out. But once again, this is why I had to do an updated video because people asking me, well, does it solve all the problems of the previous ones? I'm like, no, it's faster hardware. That's where it stops. It still has the same VPN limitations. If I create a new network, it still creates any, any rules between them. Those are all the same software-driven functionality that Unify has designed. So the new hardware doesn't uh, solve any of those problems. It just routes faster. So, sorry, just help me with the terminology. USG, that's kind of like, what, what does that mean? Is, is gateway or something? Yeah, right? yes, yeah, Unify gateway. I forget the S stands for, but it's- uh, Yeah, it doesn't matter. So, so basically it's like what in Cisco world would be like a router. It's like your your router to the internet is that right? And the Dream Machine has got that function where it's got like a WAN port and then it's got the LAN port. Yep. And it's supposed to do like firewall and routing stuff. Is that is that correct? Correct. So the Dream Machines are routers, and so are the USGs. The the if the easy difference between them is the Dream Machine is going to have the controller on it. The uh, USGs are just routers. Period. Nothing else. And do they have like a firewall product, or is that just part of like the Dream? That machine is their firewall setup? product, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about um. I, 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 just for for everyone who's watching, I mean, please put your comments below. I'm trying to like 
balance the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yeah. Tom, that's what I, I really appreciate about talking to you about this stuff uh, or talking with you about this stuff because you don't have like bias towards a vendor. You like just give it as it is, which is brilliant. I want to get into like the weeds about like access points and switches and, you know, when you would use one or the other. On other videos, you gave like some of the advantages of Unify versus Cisco. So can you list like why you would suggest Unify? You've done some of that already. And then why would you not uh, recommend Unify? You know, one of the things, and this comes back a little bit to the sales pitch, is we did, and we are doing even another school that we're going to be doing soon. But one of the schools had a problem. They were dramatically expanding the size of school. Their current license fees they were paying, I think were like twelve or 13000 a year for Meraki. And they said, you know, we know when we double the size of the school, we pretty much double these license fees. And the Meraki stuff set end of life. So the business proposition a lot of times is – does your use case need layer three? Nope, doesn't need any of that. Um, great. So we want to look at Unify because we want to pay once, internally manage it with a nice controller that monitors all these. And uh, by the way, Unify's controller software is multi-tenant. You can actually set up all separate sites all within it, which makes it really nice. So instead of having everything, if you have like a campus where you have more than one location, or even in our case, we have more than one client um, that you're managing is for, you can keep adding separate sites and then host it all remotely, all the tunneling back, the communication protocols they use are all encrypted. So it does transport across the internet to have publicly hosted controllers and multiple sites all managed in one single pane. The first thing we do is make sure they don't have any needs or special use cases with any of the equipment they have before they go to Unify, such as Layer 3. If they don't, they look at it going, well, there's a one-time cost to buy all the hardware, but so is there with most of the other product line. You got to buy the hardware and then you got to buy maybe a three-year ahead of time licenses. So with no license fee, that becomes one of the first big big selling points of Unify because as uh, many people know, I, I always joke people like I'm getting $5 to death with every subscription service. <laughs> and yep, yep. and the, the subscriptions and Microsoft, uh, you know, was uh, definitely someone who recently has caused such an uproar in, in the community. They just know that everyone's using Office 365. So they raise prices because if I want more money and you can't yep. really change your locked in or you've deployed 200 access points, uh, turning up the knob a little bit and raising prices is something that companies may do. And they always seem to do it all together. It's almost like yeah. collusion at some point. <laughs> they go, and I think they are. They're all looking around. There's really not that many vendors in this space. So they all look at look over each other's shoulder. Well, hey, they went up 20%. Eh, go up 15. We don't want to make people too angry. Uh, and obviously, what are you going to do if you're locked into their controller? There's no other way to manage this equipment deployed versus Unify. There's no fee. So that's usually the first big selling point with that. I think that's why Cisco doing this because this, this Cisco business product doesn't require license. You don't even, you know, I think you said it when you were reviewing the 1000 series switches and it's also good to get your opinion about yeah. those because I kind of interrupted you. You said, Cisco, not having to pay licenses, that's amazing in 2022. And I mean, it's I laughed when you said that because yeah. I, this is this doesn't require a license. You don't even need to log into Cisco's website to upgrade the phone. And I've, I've got an access point here, but I mean, uh, it's with the switches, that kind of thing. You uh, can upgrade it with a phone. Um, no licensing is required um, and it's local configuration. So I think Cisco are realizing, well, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I mean, I think it's it's good to see the competition. Yeah, I, and I think this is really important because we've even watched a few companies that we've looked at their product. We never actually did a full review of them, but there's a couple of them that abandoned. They started with a local controller and then abandoned it later. And I'm like, now I can't trust your product because yeah. it's one of those bait and switch type things. And people are really worried about that because those fees really do add up because it's not, you know, we're already paying for all this network equipment, but 
so does everything else. As I mentioned, like Office 365, but you start adding up a, a business and all the different license fees they pay for all their software because, you know, we have a bunch of engineering companies that are mad because CAD is completely a subscription service now. They, they're used to, their older says, oh, we just bought the software. But because everything is like that from a business model standpoint and the prices keep going up, uh, this just becomes like the, one of the biggest talking points uh, of the Ubiquiti uh, lineup. I like that. I mean, it's, I think Cisco... I mean, I'll say this just as David giving Cisco feedback. They really have made a lot of people angry with their subscription service. It's it's a nightmare, the licensing. People always complain about the licensing. Oh, it's yeah. A, it's a nightmare. You spend any yeah. time in Reddit and uh, there is yep. <laughs> a hot topic and plenty of yep. memes making jokes about how complicated licensing is it's crazy. Uh, for Cisco. Yeah, it's mad. So, I mean, no licensing and cost. I think that was a big reason to go with Unify, yeah? Oh, yeah. The It's amazing and... Uh, the sales pitch we even gave to someone was kind of funny. They were comparing to a couple of our products. They're like, well, you know, this comes with a five-year warranty on the hardware. Uh, they guarantee they'll overnight us a device, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. I said, how about I do a proposal where we put at every one of your locations, because this was uh, they had seven locations across the U.S. I said, how about we put a spare switch and a spare access point at every location? Yeah. Well, that sounds expensive. I said, nope. I said, the bid was still 40% less. It's not like they're a little bit less. They are substantially yeah. less. And with no license fees, you're keeping a hot spare on site because you're not paying an extra license fee to keep a whole second hot spare. So that also comes into play because obviously I would say I would trust my life that I can plug a Cisco in and that I will pull it out for obsolescence, not failure. <laughs> that's one thing. Matter of fact, Generally, it, yeah. maybe that's the, yeah. to the detriment because there's people running really outdated uh, switches that yeah. haven't been patched in forever. That have, They're yeah. like, that thing's 10 years old and there's dust bunnies hanging out the fans, but it just keeps working. Cisco's makes some really solid stuff overall. Um, Unified's pretty good. We've actually been impressed with how well their equipment's held up. The For the volume we sell of it, I would say the RMAs, the returns are extremely minimal, but... They're not zero, so there's a couple lines, like their 16-port line, the early model of it, and it got a little hot, and uh, people would load it up to its full potential. So they would look at the power budget of the POE, and then they would set it, oh, okay, it can support X watts, and they would use not 80% of X watts. They would plug in <laughs> all the ports. And anytime you're doing some capacity planning, I always encourage people, don't overload it. That just will – I know what the – they said, and the Gen 2 seem to be substantially better when it comes to airflow and cooling. But uh, I generally try not to exceed even 80% of the power budget unless their budget just doesn't allow for it. And we're like, okay, it should last. And we've had, we have some that are out there, but whenever I can, if I can build in just often just for future planning reasons, not utilizing 100% of the cap capacity, but I, we have plenty that are that have every port filled and everything turned on and they're holding up pretty well. Yeah, I've also heard, I saw, you know, when I was doing research for this interview, it's like um, I saw a lot of people complaining about software being buggy recently. What's your thoughts about that? Is this, is the software reliable? Is it stable? Overall, yes, there are quirks. And for whatever reason, it took them years to but sort in, out. But in everything there is. Yeah, yeah. in everything there is. Uh, and I, I think there's there's a problem with ubiquity compared to someone like cisco if i we know people are going to go complain about cisco licensing we know there's problems occasionally that have occurred with some of the meraki the way they handle a couple things in our routing i know from being in the it space i know where those complaints are happening and they're not in a public forum in the same way 
when you look at Ubiquity being extremely public with end users, yeah. they have a volume of users substantially higher. They don't have people complaining to Unify. They have people in public forums. So it's yeah. easy to get the appearance that there's more problems. But when you have a broad, especially consumer user base, well, consumers are less educated on this topic. So and there's no there's no support engineer telling them how they should have set it up and RTFM no one wants to read that manual on exactly how to set it up so they start <laughs> plugging and guessing and then when it doesn't work they tell you it's the buggiest software in the world of now course. there's genuine issues too one of the genuine issues we ran into and I don't remember exactly the root cause analysis of this, but I do know SonicWall and Ubiquity, when it comes to their access points, are not friends for DHCP. That was a long time bug they had of, for whatever reason, you could statically set all the addresses, they'd work. But when you told SonicWall to do DHCP, it just decided not to. Uh, it wouldn't pass through there. You could Wireshark it. You could just see the packets would only come through mail formed. And I don't know what SonicWall was doing to do it. SonicWall was no help and Ubiquity was no help. Ubiquity's answer is use one of our routing devices. SonicWall's like, we're not Ubiquity support. Our DCP works and you hardline it, right? And so there was that weird catch in between, wow. which created a whole... Uh, a lot of problems. I forget there was a couple tuning fixes people came up with. Eventually, a firmware update came out that did solve that problem. But I mean, you you confident enough to deploy this in quite large environments. Yes. And I think that's what speaks volumes is if you as a business person who has to support this are, are deploying this all over the place, I'd rather take your opinion than some random guy on the internet. Yeah. And in an example, and I have uh, did a video for high capacity planning with Unify. Unify has a write-up on this because they set the controller to a relatively conservative amount of memory usage. And it is a command line parameter. You go in and edit the Java config file to say, all right, we want to add this much more heap, this much more memory. They've got a few tuning options. Those tuning options are people doing large deployments. We've often come into people for, they hire us for consulting, which is actually where we get so much insight to the misconfigurations. They hire us for consulting and we find out that they never did the tuning. I'm like, you have 250 access points and you never bothered to read Ubiquiti's tuning on when you exceed this many access points, or they plug them into a cloud key. And Unify was a little bit bad about this. They've gotten better. Their documentation didn't clearly state you can only have this many devices attached to a cloud key. The cloud key is a small $200 device. I believe it's all ARM-based with a low amount of memory. There comes a point when it just doesn't have the capacity and the processing power to handle a large deployment. So if you haven't tuned it, you end up with these weird, quirky issues. You're like, oh, I'm watching yeah. my network disconnect. Uh, it's not able to see all my devices. I'm like, well, yeah, it has a connection rate limit and you're now exceeding the rate limit. You can change the rate limit. Here's the documentation how. And when people don't, they go, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't spend time reading through the documentation. I'm like, well, that's why you called us and that's what we're here to go through and change those settings for you. And like magic, all these little yellow things that says uh, dropped packets and things like that. You're like, hey, look, it's all talking properly to the controller and not uh, flapping essentially where you see them just clicking on and off at different places. So do you have like any rough rule of thumb how many access points can be on a cloud gen product? I'm trying, I think the biggest we've done is 500 access points. I don't know where the that's upper quite limit large. is. I mean, I mean, for a little $200 device, that's a lot. Oh, no, the on the cloud key specifically, um, I want to say it stops now. Their own documentation, I think it stops at like 30 devices or 25 devices. Okay. I know it's a lot. And that, that switches an access point, yeah? Yeah, switch, it's com any combination of the two. Okay. Each one so has... 30, 
Sorry, go on. Oh, no. So each one has, um, because it's talking to both essentially in the same way. Uh, yeah. So they, they cumulatively say, they say cumulative devices you want attached, and it stops there. So 30 on a Cloud Gen 2 Plus, as an yeah. example. It's in yeah. their documentation. I believe it's, a, I think 30 is the number they have, 25 or 30 is the number they have in there. And you did, like, say, 500 access points. Was that on a VM? Oh, yeah. On a, yeah. On a VM. Yeah. That's uh, that's where we host the bigger ones. We always, and, and then we take the time to tune them to make sure that they can, uh, you know, talk to that many devices. But I mean, that's that's quite large. I mean, it's um, it's it's not small. And I mean, there's no control of fees. Uh, that was one of the advantages you said about the, the ubiquity. Uh, you're not paying for anything. And uh, and I think another advantage or disadvantage, depending which side you come from, is there's no huge mark markups on the hardware. You just go and tell people to go and buy it from the website. Is that right? Which yeah. means it's good for the customer, but from someone who's trying to make margin on selling product, it's not necessarily. Good for them, but good for the customer. Yeah. Now, this is where there's a, I, I know this is where a lot of hate comes from the IT community and the reseller community. Um, yeah. I specifically in private forums, I've seen people just angry. I won't sell a company that also sells direct to consumer. And, you know, that's, that's a challenging thing because some people love that exclusivity, the built-in uh, margin and things like that. I mean, the world, you know, what was that book forever ago written of the world is flat because, you know, talking about how exactly. more, more B2B yeah. stuff, yeah. that yeah. hasn't changed. There's always companies are striving for ways to go, how do we get direct to consumer? Even though we're a big company, how do we do direct to consumer sales and value added resellers that don't add a lot of value, they don't, they always cut them out. And this is a problem with a lot of the channel partner agreements and, it's gone back and forth. Many of the large companies have violated their channel partner agreements. They've gone around the yeah. reseller when they don't think the reseller is doing a good job. They always cite some legalese in their documentation. And then people hate that product line for a while. And this goes across all the big companies. They've often done things to betray trust, but it's a tenuous relationship. They want to sell as much product as possible. If they think you're a barrier instead of an asset, they're going to go around you. My attitude is I value in the way we leverage things at my company is you're leveraging our knowledge. We even do this all the time where we tell people, do you want to buy it? Or do you want to spy? We'll start that conversation with them. And sometimes from a business standpoint, they go, I don't feel like dealing with it. But when there's an internal IT team, they're like, yeah, we're just going to buy them direct. Can you just do the setup and engineering? I said, absolutely. Yeah. And I, my, my money, I focus is on the labor because I've always looked at it as a race to zero margin when a bunch of people are competing to resell the same product. You're always willing to cut your margin less and less, but you didn't make the product. So at some point, you, you're just cutting margins until you'll see who, who will... Uh, <laughs> who's going to make the least amount of money on it. And I'm like, I get out of that game completely when I know people are looking for the hardware at a cheap price. Here's my engineering fee to do your project. Here's how we're going to break it down. Here's my fees for setting it up, designing the controller, architecting your network. And I don't care, buy all the hardware yourself, buy it directly. Matter of fact, that also puts the process of warranty and everything else in your hands. Because if you want me to handle it, we will do it for a fee because you'll want a warranty yeah. exchange if there's a problem, but that means I have to process it. So that has a cost to it. And some people are fine. They're willing to pay the cost that, we charge to do it as a holistic solution, but um, we offer both options. And this is something that is hard to wrap the head around of some other IT and people in the managed services space that I could never let my client buy something directly. And I'm like, why? Where's the value in the hardware? If they know you're marking it up, they can look at the price and they can, even for things that are supposed to be channel partner agreement, it's not hard to figure out the price if they have access to Google. You can type in almost any device, find out the MSRP, find out what the markup is because someone talked about it in the forums that it's 20% uh, markup. Now, the other thing that pushes more people towards this. And I will admit, maybe it's a dirty sales tactic, but I did do this and won a bid. I made the comment, <laughs> someone, we were going to get some Meraki. I said, what's your cut of the Meraki fees every year? And the person turned red. 
the person yep. that was bidding against me because the other person said, what is your cut? And the guy said, I, I get a percentage. <laughs> That's all he said. And he goes, no, I want to know how much I'm paying you just to renew these licenses every year. And I, it was yep. a back and forth conversation. The person was quite angry bidding against me, but that was one of the things that they were, they rolled in the price and they had a three-year deal for the Meraki licenses, um, which is not arbitrarily cheap. But of course, he was talking around it going, oh yeah, you know, the life cycle of these devices will be replacing me again. Well, what am I paying in licensing fees? Because he had rolled it all into not line yep. iteming. And I'm like, oh, there's a license fee. For ours, replace them when you replace them. They do have a, a, you know, generally speaking, network years, maybe a five-year life cycle. As we know, no one ever listens to that. Everyone's running it until yep. until it won't work because when that's, that's when people will actually exchange it. Without those licensing fees, it makes a big difference. And that commission people get makes them go, well, I get recurring forever revenue commission off of these other products I sell. And I get that from value-added reseller standpoint uh, doing it, but that is something that is a detriment to some people for not wanting to even consider Ubiquity because they're used to how much revenue they make recurring on all these license renewals they get. I think the world's changing. It's like you said. I mean, there's a reason you uh, Ubiquity are doing so well in the market and there's a reason they're becoming popular. And there's a reason that Cisco, and I keep pulling this up, but it's a reason Cisco are doing this, isn't yes. there? I mean, we know we uh, it's going to be good to. I think we should create some more videos, or it'd be good to see your videos. Um, if you see if you like them or hate those products. No, but I, I mean, I think the market's changing. Sorry. Yeah. Go. No, I'm I'm really liking a product like that. Like I've talked to other companies. I've actually engaged with the engineers at companies who have asked me. Um, I'll leave them unnamed. Uh, we don't. We have a loose agreement not to talk about it yet. But there's a couple of companies trying to develop it, and they asked what my thoughts are on it because I've talked so much about Unifine. They're like, we want to tap into the market because we're losing it. And I pointed out. I said get the self-hosted controller, but we're just going to make our cloud free. I'm like, no one trusts your free cloud. I heard there was a change that came from one of the companies. I haven't verified it yet, but their free cloud, they just reduced the number of devices you can adopt to it without paying. So it's free and it was supposed to be free all the time, but I guess some changes are coming. I won't, I, I don't have that all in writing yet. And I, I will do an no, update. No, no, don't worry. I mean, I, was, I can say about the Cisco one, because this is, this is probably like straight away a point is that the, for this product line from Cisco, it's 25 devices, I think it is, that you can manage without a license. Yeah. So it's supposed to be for small businesses, but uh, there's some kind of license if you if you want to be like an MSP and manage many devices. So Cisco can't get away from licensing. Yeah, it's tough. And they're trying to dabble in that market. But, you know, we look at Unify, we have, I think right now, 50 different businesses that we manage in our controller, all separated, and I'm paying no license fee for that. Think about how much yeah. license fees I would normally be charging those. Now, this doesn't mean I don't charge. This means I'm not paying a license fee, but we are managing your network as a part of their entire management of, the, of everything. So yeah, there's a fee for managing the network because my time still has a value attached to it. I'm just not additionally paying a cloud licensing fee for it. So technically from that aspect, I make more margin on that than I would if I sold something else. So I, I think you've mentioned this in other videos and I, I forgot to ask you, can you run the controller without having a Unify account? It, I think you were yes. you were saying something like, it depends on the product. I think with the the this, the um, small controllers you have to initially log on to the yep. website or something. Could you just like correct me, Tom, and say say exactly how how it is? So this is a weird decision that they allegedly very soon are going to change. I've actually talked to some of the people. I do have a little bit of contact with some of the people at Ubiquity. They haven't yeah. uh, said this publicly completely yet, but I'm allowed to at least talk about because they've mentioned it. They are going to be eliminating that requirement sometime in the future. I said I, I always said sometime is not a time is how I actually replied to that <laughs> message. <laughs> But they do, they decided this was a feature they wanted to add where you have to sign up for a Ubiquity Cloud or 
out with the unified dream machine. And for a lot of people, you know, privacy-oriented people, they're like, why would I have to start with having an account? And of course, famously, Ubiquity had a big outage that lasted a little while when they had some problems. Well, no yeah. one could turn on and sign up any new accounts. So existing devices kept working, but new account sign-ins wouldn't work. So you would buy and unbox a brand new fancy device that wouldn't work until the cloud outage. Granted, it was only down for 12 hours. That's that's a, that's enough for uh, a blow up on Twitter of angry people <laughs> in a bunch of forum <laughs> posts. In the reality of things, it's still you know quite a few nines of uptime. It's not it's not happening yep. every day. Yep. But the um, that concept of my devices have to register with your cloud to work, even though it sets up a local account, I don't really care for that. When you host the unified controller yourself, absolutely no external needed. You don't have to do anything more than, you can create it a cloud account. It's an option, but it's not a forced option. And this is something I also wanna note. The not in the notes, but really important feature that is available now or feature removed feature maybe, they don't force you to register the consoles anymore. I think that's great. But when you use the Gen 2 Plus at the moment, you still requires that, right? And the Dream Machine, yeah. Yep. But but that that might change. That might so change. I just want to get, sorry. Oh, I see that might change. Might. <laughs> <laughs> the so for if you if you have a customer, let's get into the weeds now. If you have a customer and you deploy some access uh, access points and you want some VLANs. Um, the Dream Machine can't do the routing between those. Is is that what did I understand you right? So like if you have like a let's say like two or three VLANs or like um, different types of, um, like you have a guest account or a guest Wi-Fi network and a, like an employee and perhaps something else, students or whatever it is, um, a few of those, you can't do routing between them unless you get another product. Did I understand that right? Well, no, that's where it's a little confusing. The It's not the most secure by default setup. So essentially what you have is it will do the routing between them. But for example, if I just create three different VLANs, uh, it's going to have allow, allow between all of them. So it actually- That's on the Dream Machine, yeah? Yeah, it's on the Dream Machine and the USG. The default rule creation is allow all the traffic to pass between them. You have to then implicitly yeah. write rules for block rules because maybe you want this network over here, but only certain devices over here to be able to talk to it. That can be done. It's just not done by default. If you create a guest network, it does do isolation, but it offers no local access. But maybe you want something on your guest or IoT network to have certain levels of access. So you have to do a little bit of rule writing that's a little bit confusing when you first get into them. I don't think they did the best job of the way they write the rules. But does it work for companies? And we have like a couple of coffee houses, for example. A guy had a chain of them and he wanted them all in one place. Uh, yeah. Great idea was to use actually the unified dream machine for that use case because he's just got a guest network and he's got a separate network that is for his uh, point of sale systems. That's it. It's a pretty straightforward. So that was nice for them because it's easy for him to manage and it will do that type of separation. Um, it just doesn't give you a lot of advanced rule configurations. They're, uh, if you looked at it, you're like, that's all the features. You're like, yeah, that's all the features. It's they When you dumb something down too much, I think it's fun dumbing down VLANs to make it easy to assign a port it's not as good when it comes to firewall rules because it makes it harder for you to uh, create more advanced rule sets. Those advanced rule sets aren't needed in a coffee house, so there are times when I would say it does work. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like if I, so to use, I hate to bring it back to the Cisco-like terminology, but it sounds like router on a stick is what Cisco would call this. You, your yeah. switches are layer two switches, and then you have a router, uh, which is the dream machine in this example, doing the inter-VLAN routing. But I mean, I must, uh, to, to counter that, or to give like a different view, Cisco, if you enable inter-VLAN routing or you enable routing on the router, every VLAN can talk to every VLAN. Um, you have to create access lists to block VLANs from talking to each other. So it's, it doesn't sound like 
perhaps the implementation isn't the very best, but it sounds like it's not, it's, Cisco is kind of the same. As soon as you enable routing, it's, it's enabled. Um, everyone can talk to everyone if you enable your routing. And then you have to like go and block yeah. with access lists, which are not very user friendly. Um, who can talk to who? So yes. Yeah, you you do you deal with ACLs a lot differently in Unify, but you're right, conceptually very the same. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I, I it's nice to you know again, it's nice to get your views of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with switches. They have these enterprise pro standard light and flex. Do you want to give us a quick overview? I mean, I'll, I'll throw up a like a, a chart, but I, I love it when you do these like practical demonstrations. If I was a, like a home user, perhaps you got a use case or you're like a medium, small, medium business and then a larger business. Can you like tell us which ones you would use? Or um, like I haven't guidance? dove into yet because we haven't ordered any of the newest ones. From what I can tell, there's not a major difference between them. They, they slap names on these things without offering you more differences. They offer things like, oh, and I haven't looked at these ones specifically, but they'll offer that layer three routing option. But it's it's not great. They, it's so bad. It's not even... It's not something I bother implementing on there because if you want layer three routing, as I said earlier, we wouldn't we wouldn't recommend yeah. uh, Unify at all, no matter what label they put on their switches. It's uh, the pro switches. A lot of times, what you're looking at is better PoE budgets, allegedly more yeah. robust reliability, and uh, so they make them basically uh, overall like better, beefier switches. But functionality wise, they're pretty much the same. That's the part that's um, always confusing. They always slap these different names on stuff like USG or USG Pro. The difference between them is routing speed, not not anything else. The functionality is actually the same between them. With the Pro switches, some of them have like higher PoE budgets, so they've got larger power supplies in them. They support a really confusing product that they what's that thing called? It's the it's like you would assume it's a UPS. It's the backup power supply system that they have. Oh, okay. That, that thing is a. Uh, terribly made device i don't there's nothing i like about it uh ubiquity was unhappy with my review they actually sent it to me and didn't like my take on it and i was like look guys this product i don't know why someone invented this <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, but, i mean that that gives you credibility and that's why it's nice to talk to you because you don't mince your words about it you're not going to like you're not getting paid to say this stuff and neither right. am i i mean i must say that ubiquity did send me this access point and a few other devices so uh, we for you know for uh, but they've sent you stuff as well just for you know for everyone how do you say for um, disclaimer i have received products but no one's paying us for any of this yeah when i was it's actually interesting because just yesterday i was looking at an enterprise access point from cisco um they want me to do a video about it and it's got 5g ports and it needs, you know, good amount of power. So like PoE plus plus. And I was like, okay, so which um, unified product would actually support this access point? And the only ones were the enterprise because they have these 5G and 2.5G yep. ports where you don't get on the pro. But I mean, it's so basically all you're doing is getting more power, uh, perhaps faster ports, more ports. Yep. Uh, that's the only. Which which one do you deploy most? Is it pro? Yeah, probably a lot of the pros lately. Um, well. Supply chain shortages mean we'd apply what we <laughs> yeah, can find in stock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> We've certainly had that's been a challenge. Uh, the good news is some of the more expensive ones, because the consumers buy some of the smaller ones, we have upped people more for because of the availability of the more expensive ones. It's had it's changed some of it because it wasn't needed, but we'll put in a 48 port because we could get one. And uh that's a lot of times what drives it because the 24 port wasn't available. Because if someone only has like a handful of cameras, um, I don't necessarily need to put the a higher end switch in there because some of the lower end ones um, don't even have if it's a 24 port switch it may only have 16 ports to support poe that's where you got to look at the details because sometimes that's where people go i can't get the poe to work on port yeah. 18 i'm like that's because poe stopped at port 16 <laughs> and they didn't read well, the details yeah. 
uh, of why that, because sh- it says it's a PoE switch. It is a 24 port switch, but it doesn't say PoE 16 port until you read somewhere down in the fine details. So you do have to look, and that's more about what their changes are as you go up in some of the models. RTFM is what I'm getting from you. Yeah, RTFM. all the time. Well, and I don't blame companies. They want to sell a switch because I'm actually running myself one of the pro, not pros, the basic 24, I think it's just called 24 Gen 2 because I don't have more than 16 devices. I actually only have 12 devices at my house that have PoE. Why would I spend almost double the yeah. price for the 24 port? I'm not, I don't need PoE on the other ports. And so let's talk about access points. They've got the light, long range, professional enterprise. Do you want to give us like any take on them or is it kind of the same thing where it's is, just like speed? The big difference is going to be the, um, Larger ones are going to support way higher density of networks. Yeah. Uh, that is the big change between them. Their LRs are really impressive. And for home users, we recommend the LR. I'm actually shocked because I got a reasonable size house with a big yard. I can go all the way out uh, pretty far in my backyard with an, as I have one of the new Unify 6 LRs. I'm like, wow, I can sit outside of my fire pit and my phone has still got pretty strong signal. Um, wow. So the LRs live up to their name, but they're not going to support high density. But then again, my house, there's a handful of phones yeah. and laptops and tablets. It's not what I would consider a high density environment. When they have their pro series ones, some of those support both high density and have uh, higher speed ports attached to them. So you're going to get maybe not as much speed on some of those. They can all be tuned. You can change the you know width and things like that of the different channels to get more speed. But most of the time when we're putting them in somewhere that needs um, a concert hall or venues that have like events, we just did a whole um, big wedding venue. We actually did a castle, which is a whole interesting project wow, as that's well. that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, they needed yeah. Wi-Fi throughout and they went with the higher density ones. No one needs to have the fastest connection because people always say, oh, what do you set it to? I'm like, oh, the narrowest band because... They need connectivity in the building. That's it. They're not trying to stream uh, at the highest speeds. They need the best connectivity. So those work really great. And we've seen them. Uh, the wedding venue place has, uh, I think, about 800 guests in there. Not that every one of those 800 are connected to the access point, but quite a yeah. few people are. Schools are another one where we'll uh, see a higher density users. And for example, you know, schools, they got a bunch of kids. Chromebooks are extremely popular in a lot of the school districts. They just need connectivity. They just need to be able to get to yeah. uh the Google Docs and share docs with the teacher. That does not require the highest speed. It just requires good, uh, reliable connectivity. And that's where we still push people towards those higher density models. We're not as big a fan. They make that mini one. I can't remember its name right now off the top of my head. Um, the light thing? They make a light one and they make a mini one. We usually just still okay. just go up to that higher pro model one. They're not that much more expensive. Um, home users, hey, buy what's cheap and what works. But for the, those slightly bigger ones, they just... If you end up with, because people start counting heads, and you don't count heads when you think about density of connectivity. You count devices. So yeah, are you exactly. letting the students yeah. connect with their phones? Okay. Now you're letting them connect with their laptops. Great. So you have to double two times that number of heads is how many devices. Oh, by the way, how many devices does the teacher have hooked up inside the classroom as well? Now we've got a better count. Or, you know, even any businesses we deal with, how many overall devices do you have? Not just a head count. Uh, so you understand that you probably will start bumping into some of the limits because some of the the basic ones only support, I think they unifies uh, documentation says like, don't get over 150 connections to it. Um, okay. The other ones are more like 600, 800 connections. So there's, that's where you start reading the details. You'll see that's why they support them. And we've taken some of them apart and you can see what they did inside. Lots of antennas in them. So <laughs> that's just an architecture versus the other ones. You look inside the circuit board's really small and maybe two little antennas. You're like, well, that's obviously not made for high density. So, I mean, let's say I'm, I want to 
I'm, I'm going to I'm going to swear now as a Cisco guy. I'm going to replace my home network with Unify. What would you recommend I look at? Is it a dream machine, or from what I've seen you say before, you don't like it that much? Uh, like give us like the good, the bad, and the ugly, Tom. What would you advise me to do? Like which access point should I look at? Um, switches, perhaps, or does it really depend? It, it's going to depend. So if you What's your network needs? And most home lab users right away, they're going, oh, man, I want a privacy VPN, policy routing. That is, it's a number of home people that want to jump into that because, well, as we know, Netflix raised prices and so did everybody else. So people are like, you know what I need? A privacy VPN for reasons that I don't want to talk yeah. about. But great. That is not <laughs> a feature you can get with Ubiquity. That's not even on their roadmap that I, I know of at all. And where a lot of people like firewalls like PFSense. I was going to say, so PFSense is what you would recommend. Yeah. It's yeah. what most users like. The other one we've uh, talked about a little bit less would be um, Untangle, but that's because it has a annual subscription fee with it. But Untangle does something clever, like for privacy VPNs, they have them built in. You just drop in your username and password, and then you click policy routing. Like, I would like anything that's a torrent to policy route over that privacy VPN. Some of the other firewalls like Untangle have that as an option for people who are looking for turnkey easy. But nonetheless, it's usually not a uh, ubiquity recommendation for the routing because once people say, I like to VPN back to my house and some of those other features, it's just not as desirable. Now, granted, the Unify did release, and I haven't tested it, but it's clever. Um, they have a new thing called Teleport, and it's a okay. uh, VPN for your phone. So let's say you have some Unify equipment at home or just you want to get back to your house. They do have an app you can load that magically through a link that you send to your phone connects with an app you load always back to your uh, Ubiquity router, your Unify Dream Machine router. Um, but it's it. It's mm, not It's not supported yeah. not even on a PC. It's specifically I, I like, I like the sound of PFSense. Yeah. PFSense is just way more flexibility. And I have a, I even have, I made a video because so many people start with a Dream Machine and go, ah, it didn't do everything I wanted it to do. Yeah. So I made a video of how to keep your Dream Machine so you can still use the functionality like the controller on it, but then put a PFSense in front of it and how to do all the routing on that. So... <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, Dream Machine would be like a dedicated controller if I didn't want to run it in a VM or something. Um, and it does. It, it also has a hard drive in it, doesn't it? So yes. like if I have cameras and stuff like that, it can record it to the to the hard drive, yeah? Yeah, you can record. That's another feature we didn't touch on, but the Unify camera systems, they have that support belt in a Dream Machine, but there's got to be a little caveat there. We can only adopt so many devices because of the load on the system, but you can't adopt too many cameras because of the load on the system. And obviously with cameras writing data back to the drive, well, a single hard drive doesn't handle writes any faster than a single hard drive can. So you can't have too many cameras. And then you're also limited by the processing power of the Dream Machine. So if I have like eight switches on there, five or six access points, and then I want to add cameras, now I've got a problem where the system's got too much going on for it is just not able to handle it. So there are some limitations to packing everything in a single device. It sounds like the, what's it, the USG, no, sorry, not the USG, the um, the Gen 2 Plus thing, uh, the cloud uh, key, sorry. Seems like a, like a if I want a turnkey, easy to use product. Yes. Um, that's the one to get. Otherwise, just run it in a VM on ESXi or something else, yeah? Yeah, and running it in a VM is uh you know, that's the free and easy option. But I think the cloud key at $200, roughly, depending on where you're yeah. at, is pretty reasonable for people that don't want to go through even the trouble or follow my instructions on how to set it up. Not that I think they're hard, but some people don't even want to load a Linux VM or maybe, if especially let's start with the basic home user, you know, the average person going, well, Unify, um, 
I, I want to get into it. I want my PFSense router, but man, I don't have a ESXi server. I don't have yeah. a virtualization stack to run this. And I don't really want to run it on my gaming computer. So I'm just going to get a cloud key for $199 and it'll take care of it. So I think it's a great choice um, on that. And it gives you, you know, you log into it, you can control all your local devices and adopt them in there. And it will update for you. You click the little update button. When there's a new version out, it takes care of it. Uh, it works rather well. So when you update the controller, does it go and update all the access points and switches as well? Or is that a separate process? Um, Kind of. So sometimes it will need to update them because there's, uh, if the firmware is too far behind, the updates are relatively simple to load with Unify as well. This is one nice thing. You just click update firmware. And if you want under the advanced box, but it's not checked by default, you can actually tell it to auto update as new firmware comes available and it will go through and push all the firmware. But their firmware updates are something that doesn't really cause me much drama. Like they solve those quirky problems like we mentioned with SonicWall and DHCP or yeah. weird random issues people come up with. That's why there's firmware updates. But from a pushing firmware update and breaking something, that's rare. The firmware updates actually, I would say, are very reliable provided you're doing them over a reliable connection. Because uh, even though the controller, for example, is hosted within our stack, we do push updates to our customers' access points and switches completely remotely. As long as we know their connection is reliable, we push the firmware update and uh, it works great. So I mean, from I want, just to summarize, if I want to be cheap, I could just run the controller on my Windows computer yep. and just boot that up, or start that up, basically, because it's just a piece of software. Yep. Uh, configure the devices and then shut that down. The disadvantage with that is I don't get the stats. Whereas right. if I get the cloud key, I get the stats, and all the monitoring stuff. But And it's a nice dedicated device that I can just have in my network. Um, otherwise, if I, if I really want to you know, learn this, in, run a VM, like an Ubuntu VM, and, and install the software on that VM in some kind of hypervisor. And that will give me my controller. Yep. Controller is free. Okay, you obviously have to buy the device if you want the device, but if you if you want to save money, just download the software and install it on Mac or Windows or, or Ubuntu. Yep. Ubuntu is your recommendation, so that it runs continuously. Yeah. Run on it on VM. Ubuntu Great. or run it on uh, Debian. And then from switch point of view, is it just speeds and like PoE ports that I need to look at? Uh, and one of the nice things they, they've got that I think is really cool is they've started uh, offering some lower cost um, SFP switches. Those are, okay. they have some lower cost uh, 10 gig ones. And that's actually great. Some, uh, a lot of people are, you know, they're getting into building their ESXi servers at home. They want to dive deeper into that learning, but then they go, wow, connecting a storage server at one gig is not fun at all. And so, um, you know, 10 gig is relatively inexpensive. 10 gig cards are relatively expensive. They're inexpensive as long as you're SFP. And DAC cables connect SFP, fiber cables connect over SFP. So you can start building out your network. And Unify's got some really reasonably priced uh, SFP um, 10 gig switches out there. So you can start creating a small storage network uh, for a good price and have all that storage network managed in your controller so you can get gain visibility into it. I think it's a direct answer to Mikrotik is also big in that particular market. Yeah. Mikrotik comes with um, good hardware, but a steep learning curve of the Mikrotik OS. I'm I'm actually not a fan of the Mikrotik OS. They do have their Switch OS to make it a little bit easier, but it's back to uh, learning a lot of command lines and how trunking ports work. And it's it's not for the faint of heart unless you want to dive into that network engineering side of things. Yeah, I mean, I need to ask this question because this is always the like the shout at Cisco. Are third-party SFPs supported or do you have to buy Unify SFPs? You can get any SFP to work. We've stuck Mikrotik ones. We've stuck Cisco ones in. Um, and as you know, 
and I commented in my Cisco Catalyst video, boy, that's a difficult challenge because the Catalyst exclusively, they remove that function where you can tell it to, the hidden function uh, doesn't work on the Catalyst series. You have to use, the only ones I could ever get to work were the Cisco ones. And I had two Cisco friends argue with me. I told, I set them down in front of it and they couldn't make it work. We had a whole <laughs> pile of SFPs. We were plugging them in and they were quite aggravated. And they decided, this is why I never deploy Catalyst 1000s. But yeah, the, the known factor of other companies being picky about their SFPs is uh, I, Ubiquity chose to kind of not play that game because it's really an arbitrary thing to look at the flag and say, oh, you flash this as a Ubiquity flag or a Cisco flag or a HP or Aruba flag. Um, yep. It's just companies choose to do that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's mad. I mean, I mean, you can, you can go to FS and just buy a whole bunch of SFPs. It's going to be, you know, why spend lots of money? Right. And then for for home, you kind of recommend it. So I'm just trying to get the list here. You you like the long range access points? Oh yeah, for home, yeah, yeah. I'm impressed with their um, ability to really. So I'm in a basement right now, and I have it mounted in the rafters of my basement. So wow. uh, even though it's mounted there, which someone will be. Time you've mounted it in, in below the floor, so it shouldn't work that well. I only have a one-story house. Uh, it works all throughout my house and outside. And in, where it's going outside is the my house is brick. It's going through brick. I'm impressed. I'm not. I'm not saying yeah. it will always go through brick because if you've got uh, some of the houses that were built with stucco mesh, um, you, you live in a Faraday cage. You're going to have problems getting yeah. <laughs> uh, your Wi-Fi to go outside. But those long ranges are. For you know, they don't have the high density support, but boy, they have certainly have the range support. So all of my devices, um, my my car connects to it fine, uh, parked in the garage. My Tesla's connected to the Wi-Fi as soon as I. Matter of fact, even if I park it outside the garage, it seems to reach pretty far. I'm impressed with it. So, uh, I've that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, we just keep re recommending those to the home users. We're like this; they're inexpensive and uh, they get the job done for what you're looking for. And the um, do you recommend the camera sy system or like the like the the phone system, have you have you worked with those much? I have not worked with the phone system. We really like the camera system. So the reason we like the camera system is ease of use. I like yeah. because eventually we're turning these camera systems over to people who need to use them that are non-technical. That's generally the target audience. Yeah. Unified does a great job of just kind of making it nice, easy to use, kind of that Apple design philosophy that anyone should be able to use this. So we like their camera systems. The downside is going to be they are limited. They do what they do and no more. It is what it is. It is what it is. You don't get to offload all the data for backup. You don't get to, you know, add more storage beyond what capacity that comes with. So they have their Unify NVR, Unify MVR Pro. They support that many drives, and that's it. They don't have like a way to do archival footage somewhere else, like more advanced NVR systems. So for basic users, I do like them. I think they're nice. Uh, their cameras are kind of expensive, but the other side of it, uh, their camera lineup is no license fees. And uh, with mm. uh, we're seeing a huge push for higher and higher license fees in the camera space where cameras are sold as a recurring license that has to be renewed or the cameras turn off. Um, so Unifice, once again, in that market going, we're going to keep pushing for uh, no license fees, so buyer equipment. Technically, license fees are built into the cameras because a comparative featured camera by someone else is usually a whole lot cheaper. 
But when you yeah. – the license fees are all tied to usually the MVR, not directly to the camera, but they license on a per-camera basis for how many can connect. Unify is doing good on that part. The downside right now here in 2022 has been lack of availability of the cameras. Um, supply chain has really dragged that down, so it's been it's been a lot less sales on them. And we have more people that look for some of the advanced features, especially archival footage. Um, so we look at some of the Synology camera systems for that. Yeah, you like Synology, don't you? I think you've said oh, that yeah. in other videos. You like the Synology camera system? Yeah. They give a massive amount of flexibility cameras. And I've done a video breaking down how you can do like advanced motion detection, such as uh, detecting if there's a car in, in a presence or if there's a person. Because the squirrels set off my motion all the time, yeah. but I have a different alert when a car pulls in my driveway. So I know if a person comes up my driveway or a car because it lets me know. Um, or a squirrel. The squirrel. Like yeah, the squirrels. I mean, I can go back to the motion list and see all the squirrels, but they don't alert my phone. They, I, I just get to watch them. <laughs> Does the... Um does Unify support that, uh, like detection, that kind of thing? Not okay. much. They kind of have some, they, they have a neat feature they added more recently where the Unify NVR will go and grab um, people that it will see. So it actually creates this cool screenshot list when you go to the main menu. And then you can click on the screenshot where it just zooms in and sees all the people. And when you click on it, it goes back to play that clip. So they're, they have it, but it's not exactly as flushed out as the one on Synology is. And even Synology is basic compared to the enterprise NVRs. They have full object detection, face detection, and everything else. But those get into the, you know, some of these people are paying thousands every year in licensing fees for those high-end NVRs. They're not something that yeah. we see in the consumer space. We see them usually, we have some school districts that uh, have some large camera systems like that that are licensed. Tom, I can always keep you going. We've been going for quite a while now. I could keep you going for much longer. Do you have any closing thoughts or recommendations for someone who wants to learn about this um, apart from RTFM? Yeah. Um, between me and several other people on YouTube, a lot of us have done so many good deep dives on getting started with Unify, watched a lot of those videos. I'm always coming out with more of them. So there's, there's a lot of learning you can do just by popping it on the TV and watching some YouTube. And there's uh, a lot of good accuracy in there. I, I give a shout out to my friend, Chris from Crosstalk Solutions. He's got a lot yeah. of great getting started Unify videos. Um, he's, me and him, we talk a lot because we both uh, have our love-hate relationship because Chris, much like myself, is honest when it comes to Unify, what he likes and what he's like, why are they doing this? <laughs> That's great, Tom. Um, I really want to appreciate you sharing. And um, just for everyone's benefit, I'm, uh, Tom and I have now discussed Cisco. So I look forward to yeah. you creating those videos about this small business solution from Cisco, Tom, and telling us, you know, yes or not. You I, know, I'm willing to look, look at them for sure. Brilliant. Tom, thanks. Thanks.